gentlemen welcome to another episode of the tkw podcast they've got a special charlotte hornets preview for you but myself my co-host dean joanu and we're visited by a resident charlotte hornets super fan slash expert matt spawnauer from the stay hot podcast matt how you feeling i'm feeling good you know i appreciate the opportunity to talk about the hornets many people most of the time don't want to talk about them so when i get the opportunity it's always good we know what it's like for people not to want to talk yeah, about it for sure. <laughs> when they so, yeah, do, they don't want to say anything good. It's it's tough. Exactly, exactly. So we'll just talk about uh, some of the prospects for the Hornets this upcoming season, and also you know the matchup between the Knicks and the Hornets coming up. And you know, hopefully, you guys enjoy. So Matt, uh, through these first two games, like what has been? What are your like some of your highs? What are, what are you high on? What are you low on? For you guys this season so far? I think the a lot of people, because the Hornets had uh, one of the worst off seasons you can remember any team having in a long time. Uh, some partially their fault, a lot not their fault, just things not breaking their way. And it caused a lot of people, like I was seeing the, uh, people make these season predictions. They'd have the Hornets as like the 14 seed, the 15 seed. And while I understand uh, they're not that good, there is still a gap between teams that are like tanking, rebuilding, like all young players who don't have a ton of NBA experience. And then the Hornets, they're more of a, like a bottom tier team in that tier of like wizards, probably the Knicks, uh, the Kings, like kind of that level of team. And maybe they're towards the lower end right now, Uh, but they're still, you know, probably going to win too many games to have good lottery odds. So they're probably a little bit better than people expect. Um, and they look like a, like a really uh, a, a different team than they did last year. Uh, James Borrego got fired for a couple of reasons. And, and last year's Hornets team, this is probably what people still think about them, is that they were completely focused on transition. This is the only thing they cared about. They probably were like first in pace of play or second or something crazy like that. And they had a great offense, but their half-court game was not that good. And their defense was completely miserable, partially because of personnel, partially because um, I don't think that's Borrego's strong suit. And I think at some point you just, when you, when your pace of play is that fast, you run yourself out of steam so quickly. Um, with this year, they're much more, they're, they're a lot slower. They're more focused on the half court game. They're attacking the basket a lot more. Uh, and defensively, they still don't have great personnel. They still can get beat. Like, like Valentinus just had 30 on us because Mason Plumley and Nick Richards are not, you know, defensive, you know, masterminds or whatever, but uh, they're trying a lot harder. So they look a little bit different, but I think they're a nice surprise so far. Yeah. When you've got Steve Clifford, like you mentioned, people are projecting them, you know, some worst case scenarios, 14th, 15th in the East. I think you have something of a floor with Steve Clifford and especially having a player as good as LaMelo ball. Terry Rozier is a good player. Hayward availability will be a question, but he's a good player. A coach like Steve Clifford is not going to tank. He's going to go for it. And I think that's what they should be doing. I think they should be trying to be competitive 
uh, definitely a blow to lose Miles Bridges, but that's not really something that the team had much control over. And uh, so you just keep pushing. And I think that they're a good team. I can't wait to see LaMelo come back. You're definitely right about last year. They were run and gun. Um, yeah. I wondered when, as soon as they hired Steve Clifford, I was like, the Hornets that I've been watching don't look primed for a Steve Clifford, um, you know, return. But um, I'm excited to see. I'm excited to see how it works out, and definitely excited for Lamelo Ball to come back. Uh, but Mason Plumlee still starting at center. I wanted to ask you how uh, people feel about that. I mean, I think it's a little understandable. You, it, you got to realize that center is one of those positions where it can take guys a long time to sort of come along, uh, and, and with Clifford being really focused on you know being competitive right now. Uh, the other two options are Kai Jones, who has just not really played any serious NBA minutes yet, uh, and, and Mark Williams, who obviously is a rookie who hasn't played any serious NBA minutes yet. Uh, so I'm not super mad at it. Plumlee is not maybe as bad as people think he is. I think that he could be a fine rotational center on a competitive team. But yeah, he's obviously one of the weaker starting centers. The big surprise for me this season is that Nick Richards, who we were kind of getting to the point where I thought, you know, pack it up. It's time to move on from him. It's actually looked a lot better. Uh, he's been a lot stronger on defense and he's been rebounding particularly well. So I, I think we're only three games into the season. I don't expect them to maybe make changes to who's in the starting lineup yet. Uh, but I think Nick Richards might be starting soon, but I'm not mad at Plumley starting. Yeah, I only brought up Plumlee not to suggest that um, he's not a capable starting center, but I think Sean and I know as Knicks fans that if we had a situation like that with a Mason Plumlee starting and recent draft picks like Mark Williams, Kai Jones behind him, it would be um, it would be like lightning and thunder every day on Twitter. People would not be happy. Um, and then there would be, of course, a smaller segment of people who were like passionately pro Plumlee starting. But that's the nature of fandom. Yeah, there, and, there are a lot. Of, oh, go ahead. Oh, no, no. Sorry, go ahead. There are a lot of fans who are, are frustrated because the Hornets, I, the Hornets had so many young guys at one point that, remember, they traded away one of their first round picks on draft night, basically saying, we just can't have this many rookies on the team, this many young guys on the team. And there's some truth to that. I mean, Kai Jones, Mark Williams, JT Thor, James Booknight, if you added another guy, it'd be like half the rotation, right? And they only run a nine-man rotation. So there's a lot of people frustrated that those guys can't get minutes. And I kind of agree, but I'm not like, you know, pounding the table two games into the season. Why isn't, you know, this guy who's never played getting 30 minutes a night? And so my question tied right into that because it was like when you, when you talk about Kai Jones and Mark Williams and uh, Nick Richards, it's like what is – what is your hierarchy like as you personally and as the fan base like who do you guys prioritize like who do you want to see what who's in line you know because it's like you have three young guys and one one of them starts to do well and you've got two others there's only room for so many guys to play i think it's really hard to have a hierarchy right now I, the idea i guess for me is that nick richards is good but he's probably got a lower ceiling than mark williams and and kai jones but neither of those guys have played like they've not gone out and played like a serious game yet they they've gotten some games where we were too banged up so it's just like we were punting on it or they'll get some like spot minutes here and there but with kai jones i mean the ceiling for him is crazy high you know you, you see you know in the g league he's doing stuff like dribbling on the perimeter and attacking inside and stuff like that and he's you know he's trying to shoot threes i'm not necessarily saying he's making many of them but the ceiling for him is super high but then you look at 
what we've got. And it's like, okay, it's PJ Washington, who is a four. And then you've got Plumley and Nick Richards and Kai Jones, who is a four or five and Mark Williams and JT Thor. And there's just not enough space in the rotation. And what's so frustrating about it for Hornets fans is like, I can't tell you who should be in the rotation between Mark Williams, Kai Jones and JT Thor, because I haven't seen them play enough. And it, it, it's, it's frustrating when you're a team that doesn't really have playoff aspirations, but also can't see how good the young guys are. So it's kind of the worst of both worlds. Yeah, we lit up at that one because that seems to be our predicament a lot of years. It's like, why are we cranking out every last bit of productivity out of some you know decent vets when we've got young players behind them? And like with the benefit of hindsight, those young players that we were clamoring for to play, most of the time, they didn't turn into some game-changing type of players. But it's frustrating as a fan to not get the chance to see. Like, I've been wondering, what do Hornets fans think of these guys have played so limited minutes? JT Thor, Kai Jones. Kai Jones' G League highlights, by the way, are box office. Kai Jones has done some ridiculous things in the G League for the Greensboro Swarm. That's still what they're called, right? The Greensboro Swarm? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And G League teams change their names a lot. That's underrated. Um, but, yeah, so who do you expect to see as the starting lineup on Wednesday? That's a tough question. I would love to know. So, LaMelo Ball is listed as out. They play a game tonight against the Hawks, I think. Um, so, LaMelo Ball is listed as just straight up out. And he had a pretty pretty serious ankle sprain. I would highly doubt that he plays. Considering how careful they are with this type of stuff, especially with LaMelo, they are not going to just throw to go from like being listed out the day before a game to all of a sudden playing three days later, probably unlikely. I I guess he'd be listed as doubtful and then not play Um, with Rozier. He also sprained his ankle now, not nearly as bad. And he's doubtful for um, the Atlanta game, but I've, I would think that he's going to play, but I, I spent, you know, the last 20 minutes before this interview looking it up. I can't, they, they, they're not really saying. And then Cody Martin is also hurt and he's doubtful for the Atlanta game. So he possibly could play, but we're not sure. If Rozier and LaMelo don't play, I cannot imagine that we went. It would be pretty tough. And, and they've been playing very honorably in spite of, of missing, uh, Lamello, but without Rozier, they just they don't have the ball handler to get it done. If Rozier is playing, it'll be Rozier, Ubre, Hayward, PGA, Plumley, maybe Richards at the five uh, instead of Plumley if if Clifford goes that way. If he's not, I would guess that Dennis Smith Jr. will start in his place. Dennis Smith Jr. is an old friend of the podcast of Knicks fans. We're all rooting for Dennis Smith Jr. Um, what have you seen from Dennis Smith Jr.? I haven't, I didn't get a chance to watch that last game. I saw some tweets that he was having a really good game. I looked at it. He had something like 10 points, four assists. He had two, three steals. Uh, what have you thought of him so far? The Dennis Smith Jr. experience. He has played really, really well. I was super surprised. I usually when a guy bounces between two or three teams, and I know Dennis Smith Jr. is, is the type of guy where he was got a lot of hype pre-draft with the Duncan and whatnot. And it's like, people are super excited about his upside, but he never quite pans out so I figured that was an unserious signing honestly but no he he's really locked in on defense uh he's been making good decisions he's been shooting he shot like 80 percent from three in these last two games so I don't know if that'll keep up um but yeah I thought I thought he was playing a super strong game uh and if he keeps playing like this it's gonna be really hard to justify giving book night any minutes over him 
Yeah, we saw that with Dennis Smith Jr. when uh, he struggled a lot with his jump shot with the Knicks in his last year there. He started to really lock in on defense. And you know, knowing that he can do that, if he can have the offense and the shooting come around at the same time. Uh, Sean, what are you looking for from Dennis Smith Jr. to you? What does a good game from Dennis Smith Jr. look like filling in with some injuries? Um, you know, shout out to my guy, Dennis Smith Jr. Super proud of him. Uh, really glad he got the opportunity to go home and play and that he's doing well. Um, but yeah, just looking for him to do his job. You know, he's been locking up. He's been playing really well defensively. The jumper's falling. Um, and he's taking, you know, he's not taking a whole lot of shots. He scored 12 points the first game, 10 points the second game, took like seven shots, four for seven, two for three from three, three steals, like in 22 minutes. Like I, you know, you, you can't ask for much more for a point guard off the bench. Um, so I'm just looking for my guy to continue to defend well, because it's like defense, especially playing for Steve Clifford, is going to keep you on the court. And he did the same thing in Portland. It's just he ended like, you know, he ends up on teams that, you know, end up tanking and then they shut everybody down and things like that. So I'm glad that he got a full opportunity there. And I'm glad to hear because I thought, Matt, that you guys were in a tank situation, I'm not going to lie. And so hearing you say that you guys are just too good to be there, I'm happy to hear that. So he gets because nobody cares when you play games on teams that are competitive. Right. Like no, no one cares. So I'm glad that he's able to do that and like put together a full body of work. I hope he stays just staying healthy, staying healthy, because I really think that defensively he's really solid and the jumpers fall. And like you said, it won't fall at the clip that it's falling at forever. But, you know, being able to hit it. Right. If he can defend and he can hit his, his shots, he'll be in the league for a long time. It's that simple. That's all you got to do. And right now, that's what he's been doing. He's got the passing vision. I mean, the, my favorite thing about Dennis Smith Jr. when he was a Nick were the flashing passes. I wouldn't even say it was just passes. I mean, anytime, uh, I'm sorry, I wouldn't even say it was just flashes. Anytime that he got a solid amount of minutes, it seemed like he would have a few dimes per game. He's a very good passer, especially if people are uh, respecting his jump shot. He's attacking closeouts. He's collapsing defenses. He was always great kicking out to the perimeter little you know he so much hang time a lot of times defender will commit to him and he can dump it off to someone right next to him so um i think that dennis smith jr will be a fun uh fun storyline to watch throughout the season i hope that uh hornets fans will agree no i'm looking forward to it and so who okay so i would imagine kelly Oubre is you guys is like primary wing defender i would say so at this point uh maybe maybe pj's out there sometimes too but i would say yeah, Kelly's probably the primary wing defender. So like that'll probably be Kelly on RJ, uh, Gordon on Fournier, and PJ on Randall. That would be my guess. Yeah, that's what I would think. I, I think those would be solid. I mean, I think, you know, Gordon, you can, I don't want to say hide him on Fournier. Is Gordon, do you feel like Gordon is a plus defender? No, but Gordon Hayward... People, I, I don't know what people think of Gordon Hayward. If you just went on to Twitter and you didn't watch him, you would think he was like one of the worst players in the NBA. And I'll admit that he's overpaid, but that doesn't mean that he's like an actual negative on the court. I'd say that he's a slight negative, but he's by no means like a Trey Young, like total turnstile type deal. I, I'm not giving him the hardest matchups. I'm not putting him on RJ Barrett, but on Evan Fournier, yeah, he can he can hold his own. Exactly. And I think uh, the matchup between, I mean, you guys probably won't have LaMelo back. So I feel like uh, Terry Rosier and Jalen Brunson will be an interesting back and forth. Um, how do you feel like Terry does defensively at the point of attack? Terry is not a super strong point of attack defender, unfortunately. 
if he was, I don't think he'd, I think he'd be considered one of the better shooting guards in the league, but he, he does not do a super great job of staying in front of guys. It's, it's a little tough to judge him really because of how fast the Hornets were last year. And they just got gassed and the, the defensive effort was totally different. I don't think that, you know, again, he's like Trey young or anything, but uh, I, I would expect Brunson to have a pretty solid game offensively on Rozier. I'd love to hear that. Thank you. <laughs> and so for the Knicks, I, I feel like one of our biggest strengths, I mean, I, I, I like our starters. Um, I like the report. They continue to build. But I think that one of our biggest strengths is we have one of the best benches in the league. And so we played the Pistons the other night. And the Pistons aren't world beaters. They're not like a great team or anything. But they have a solid lineup. But our bench, at one point, we, our bench was up on their bench 41 to 6. And I think by the end of the game, it was 61 to 22. And so our starters got a bit of a lead. Their starters tried to pull it back a little bit. But our bench blew the game out of the water both times. And so for the Hornets bench, how do you feel about you guys' bench overall? Not, not super great. I mean, if, if Martin and Rozier and LaMelo are out legitimately, I do not know what they're going to do at guard because James Booknight has probably been the worst player in the NBA for the last couple of games. He has not hit a shot. He just, it's too fast for him. He's got to go play in the G league. Uh, he just, he's just not there yet. When he gets the ball. It looks like he panics. I mean, he's, he's just been awful. And I believe he has a skill set, but you're not seeing him do what he did. Um, in college at the NBA level right now uh, with, with no Martin, it's going to be tough. I mean, Nick Richards has been good if we, he's part of the bench unit, but he may get more minutes than Plumley. And then outside of that, it's, it's getting pretty thin with the injuries they've got. You might see some JT Thor minutes. Uh, you, McDaniels has been pretty good so far, but he's not a super strong defender. And then you've got the young guys. And I think at some point they're just going to have to commit to playing some of the young guys and considering how little they've played uh, if, if the Knicks have a more experienced bench, I feel like that's where this is going to get away from them. The Hornets starting unit probably can go out there and put up a pretty good fight, but even in a short rotation with the injuries they've had, they're just going to have to put out too many guys who don't have the experience. Yeah. You talk about fast. We've been talking a lot about fast paced basketball because of how the Hornets were last year. The Knicks bench is terrible. Like it's terrifying. The, the pace that they play at is scary for other teams. It starts with a leak out dunk for Obi Toppin. And then let's say an Isaiah Hartenstein, uh, Hartenstein block and an outlet pass to another dunk to Obi Toppin. Those dunks add up so fast. It really, it, it seems, cause I know because I'll be doing highlights for the game. I can fit into like a 20 second clip, like two blocks and two dunks sometimes with that second unit. Cam Reddish um, gives even more of a transition right. to that bench. Yeah, Cam isn't always on with his um, offense like in its entirety every game. He doesn't always have everything clicking, but one thing is in transition, he looks great. Uh, really long strides, really long you know, wingspan, able to finish easily over backpedaling defenders. Like if you're not in good position, Cam, Cam Reddish can take advantage of that. So still got Derrick Rose, still got quickly on the bench. Um, I don't think that Grimes is going to play. Once again, I don't think we have much clarity on Quentin Grimes, but Cam Reddish has filled in admirably, and that second unit is still clicking. Yeah, I, I think if you guys can get out and attack the basket, just the Hornets interior, they're playing tougher on defense, but the Hornets interior defense just does not have the guy yet. And Mark Williams or Kai Jones is supposed to be that guy, but they're not playing yet. So if you can do that, I'm, I'm pretty confident the Knicks can win. 
That's lovely. That's once again, music to my ears. <laughs> but um, and that's you mentioned something, and I, I was wondering it from last year because in last year's draft, James Booknight was like one of my favorite players. Like I loved him at UConn. I fell in love with his tape. I was like, yo, like we need to make a move for this guy. And so when you guys got him, I was like, ah, oh, they stole they stole one from us. And then I saw him in the G League most of the year. I saw him not getting the opportunity to play. And now to hear that into the second year, he still doesn't like he's caught up to the game. Like, is that something that, you know, is it is it looking like a bad pick? Is it looking like he just doesn't have it together? Like, where where are you on James Booknet overall? I think I think mentally something is up. I mean, I, I can't. You, if, if you guys will see on Wednesday if he plays, which I, I'm, he's going to have to. They, they've got three guards out. You know, Clifford's only got so many players on the team. Uh, so unless they pick up like Kimball Walker or something, he's playing. You can't even judge him based off of what he can do. He had he had one really nice pass, and I really liked the book night pick too. I thought that he was a guy who could create his own shot, but also had some. You know, his vision isn't always perfect, but his his passing talent is really high level. And it's, it's just seemed like every time he gets the ball, he's, he's too nervous for it. He obviously is coming off the DUI, which I, I don't know the whole situation about that. And you never know what's going on with somebody, but that's obviously not a good thing the day before the season starts. Um, and so far, all I've really seen him do is he had that one nice pass, but he's not been trying to beat guys off the dribble like that. Typically he's just coming off a screen and shooting a three. And so far they haven't been going in. So he doesn't really look like he's playing the type of game that you'd expect him to so far. Um, and I don't know if he's, he's, you know, he's still very young. And some of those guys take a little bit longer to come along. But so far, it, it's hard to even have an evaluation on him based off how he's played. But it's been, it's been bad. Yeah, I definitely thought the Thunder would take him with um, the pick that ended up being Josh Giddy. And I like that situation for him because I thought there would be less than zero expectations uh, for winning in the interim. And the Charlotte Hornets are a team that's trying to get into the playoffs. So, you know, year after year, I'm not going to call them Kings East. I think that they're more, you know, year over year, they've been better than the Kings, at least with like the vision for what the team is supposed to be. But mm -hmm. it's, a it's a small market team that wants to win, wants to win, wants to be competitive. Obviously, we know that bottoming out is the, the easier way to win. I mean, sorry, not the easier way to win. Bottoming out is the easier way to tell yourself that what you're doing in the present can lead to like the highest heights in the future. Right. But then, yeah, but then in the present, like, you know, it's like the Thunder have that buy-in from Mark Dagnall, um, for Mark Dagnall, from the front office, the patience with losing. But a lot of tanking situations, the coach ends up getting fired in the end. And so it's hard to have buy-in from the whole team. And um, so with where the Hornets are at with LaMelo ball and with some of the young guys, even though there's a lot of uncertainty with these young guys, what do you see as their timeline to be like, what, what kind of time out into the future are you targeting for them to become a consistent playoff team? Put it that way. I, I don't know. I think, I think this off season really ruined what they were doing. And, and right now you're kind of in wait and see mode. They, they won 43 games last year, and I don't think they were particularly well coached. And if they had that same roster they had last season and they had drafted Mark Williams and he, you know, ideally pans out and they had brought in Clifford, I would say that their timeline to consistently be a playoff team would have been very, very soon. But now that you lose your second best player, it kind of throws out 
everything. They don't, all of a sudden you're, you're, you're looking for where the rest of the talent's going to come from because LaMelo is great. And I, I think he's, if anything, underrated at this point, Terry Rozier is, is a really good player, but I'll admit most teams have a Terry Rozier level player. Most like they are more common than maybe people think. And then Gordon Hayward, who I think is good is, is not long-term going to be on the Hornets. So right now you're sitting here and you're saying long-term, we do not have a second option next to LaMelo. And ideally it would be book night. But if I was sitting here telling you the book night, you know, Oh, we'll be a consistent playoff team in three years when book night becomes an all-star. I can't say that. I can't say that Kai Jones is for sure going to be something. I like his potential, but I haven't seen him play. I like Mark Williams potential, but I haven't seen him play. Uh, I like JT Thor, but I don't think his ceiling is that high. And I like PJ Washington, but I don't think his ceiling is that, that crazy high. So right now, you're, you're looking for which one of these young guys is going to come and step up. And if they don't, then they're not going to become a consistent playoff team. And they may just win too many games uh, to end up getting that guy in this draft. I mean, obviously you want one Benyama or, or Scoot or whoever, but they may just win too many games. So right now, the, how good the young guys are playing at the end of the year, and I can be patient enough to wait till the end of the year, how good they're playing at the end of the year will determine the rest of the timeline. Yeah, so it seems like there's a lot of uncertainty for the Hornets' future and for their very short-term future, as in this upcoming week, not knowing who's going to be healthy. So I think what Sean and I and the Knicks fan base are hoping is that some guys can get into a rhythm against the Hornets if they do happen to be shorthanded. Um, R.J. Barrett is 0 for 9 from 3 through his first two games. Unfortunately, we've seen this before with him early in the season, and he will, I would bet, a whole lot of money that he'll have a month where he shoots 47% from three or better. Um, it's just been like that for whatever reason. I think maybe he just works on his jumper so much in the off season that when the league, when the league year begins, he's thinking a little bit more than he generally will be the rest of the year. Just what everything he's worked on uh, trying to be like conscientious of what he's added to his game, but I think it'll all come together and hopefully, hopefully against Charlotte, RJ will have a huge performance um Mitchell Robinson has been playing really well I think that like Mark Williams and Kai Jones um a lot of times you have a, a rookie come in or a young player come in and they have like college tape or pre-NBA tape if they weren't a college player that suggests that, like oh this guy's seven feet tall seven foot four seven foot five wingspan this guy can jump out of the gym um, look at Mitchell Robinson Mitchell Robinson didn't even go play in college and he's been such a successful NBA player um, but I think I would caution against that because I think Mitchell Robinson has some special instincts as an offensive rebounder, um, knowing how to position himself to be ready for a lob. He's, he plays really hard. I think that like any, any flack that Mitchell Robinson has gotten over time, I've never really felt like Mitchell Robinson was withholding effort and he looks great this year. He's gotten into really good physical shape. So I'm just letting you know, warning you that he, it's going to be a lot of offensive rebounds. He's been, he's been a menace uh, in the early season on the glass. And that'll be fun. I think, I, I think there have been fun matchups with Mitchell Robinson and Plumlee. I don't know what well, I'm thinking, but I think there's... I, I, think, I think the big matchup is going to be him and Nick Richards because he had a game. I, I, I'm, I'm blanking on which one it was. He had eight offensive rebounds in a game. He has been... Nick Richards has been... I mean, he was like not playing, like not in the rotation last season and he's been playing he had 19 the other game he's been playing really really well now I don't think he's better than Mitchell Robinson but um, 
they've played Jakob Pertl and, and Valanciunas. Those are two pretty serious NBA centers, in my opinion. So I'll be interested to see what he does against Mitchell Robinson, who's another uh, pretty strong center that I also am a big fan of. Yeah, Nick Richards on your summer league team, right? This past season? Yeah, yeah, he was playing summer yeah. league as a third-year player. And he looked good out there, though. Like, I was like, okay, like, he's, he definitely, like, turned some heads. So I'm happy to hear that he's, like, translating that into the regular season. And, yeah, aside from Mitchell Robinson, I also think, you know, you, you said you guys struggle in terms of interior defense. And, you know, this year's version of Julius Randle was also off to a really good start. And the way that we're running our offense and the fact that it's running through Brunson is allowing him to attack one-on-one. Like, teams can't load their entire defense up on him anymore. And so I'm sure it'll be P.J. on him, but – you know, if he's isolated with PJ and you guys don't have like good interior help behind him, I think Julius Randle might have himself a day. I, I figured, I figured Randall would be a little bit better with a different role. I always felt like, you know, when he was second team all NBA, I was like, okay, that's probably, you know, a little high end result for him. But then last season it, it was really rough. And I always thought that he was maybe just trying to do a little bit more. And now that you've got somebody else out there who can help with the offense, it allows him to take maybe a little bit more of a backseat and then do more stuff that he's comfortable with and not try to overextend himself. So we'll see. PJ Washington's a pretty solid defender. I think that'll be one of the more interesting matchups. Um, I think that might be the most interesting matchup that night for sure. Yeah, the reason I hadn't mentioned Julius so far is because honestly, I feel like I'm not that curious as to how he's going to play. I feel like he's going to play really well. And I'm surprised to hear myself saying this, but he wasn't, like coming into recording this, I wasn't thinking of him as much of a mystery. I was thinking Julius Randle is going to do his thing because what's crucial to keep in mind is that like, this isn't a return to 2020, 2021 Julius Randle where he made all NBA second team. It's not like last year, you know, I felt like last year he was trying to have a repeat performance of the year before and it didn't go well. I don't think that the ways he's succeeding now is because he's trying to re like, you know, trying to, Captures right. magic that he found that year. He has been such a good decision maker. Does he have any turnovers yet, Sean? I don't think he does. I think Brunson and Randall both haven't turned the ball over. And like from your, well, two of your most trusted per, like creators for others, that's absolutely huge. So like I could see at the end of this year, Julius Randall's assist numbers maybe being lower than last year, but like the assist to turnover ratio. The eye test, I think we'll think that Julius Randle was a better playmaker than he was last year. I believe it. He's been awesome to start so far. So uh, what other thoughts do you have on the Hornets, their upcoming schedule, their outlook? Um, would you be surprised if they held LaMelo out for a relatively long period and did move forward towards a, a tank job? Yes, I, I think this is everyone's got in their head that like, well, they're going to tank because they should, and they should, they should not be trying to win 33 games. They've been trying to do this for the last 10 years and they've got one serious playoff series to show for it. Like they, they need to, and if there was ever a year to do it, you know, things have gone against you. Okay. You, if, if, if things had been in, in their corner this off season and they had had a good one, they could have been pushing for like 50 wins. They were that good. I really, really like them. Now, okay, you take a seat back. Your best player is 21 years old. It, this is people have this idea that, like, you know, the Hornets are, are, are ruining LaMelo and, and they're, they're just not being good enough and, and everything's a disaster. You know, LaMelo Ball's the same age as Cade Cunningham. Imagine, imagine if 
the Pistons don't make the playoffs this year and people are saying that Cade Cunningham is going to demand a trade because the Pistons aren't going to make any sense. So they, they have time to like readjust and refocus like their timeline and do a little bit of a reset, but they're just not going to do that. They hired Steve Clifford and they have never tried to tank before. And everything the organization has ever said is that they don't want to do that. So if, if they wanted to, I think they could trade Gordon Hayward. If they wanted to, I think they could trade Terry Rozier and be a horrible team and play all these young guys and have pretty close to the top pick and just let LaMelo do his thing. But um, I think I think it's very unlikely that they do that unless the season goes horribly and, and by the deadline, things are just a disaster and they say, screw this, we'll, we'll reset. But I don't think they're going to. There's going to be some tough company for you know, saying screw this at the deadline and trying to lose as much as possible because you cannot you can lose every single game. You can't stop other teams from losing every single game. So you can't really control your own destiny. That's why tanking is tanking is an interesting concept in general. But yeah, I don't expect the Hornets to do it. Um, I just worried a little bit going into like my fantasy basketball drafts, like this Lamelo uh, ankle injury are the Hornets going to be pragmatic and be like, Oh yeah, it's, it's bad. We're going to sit them for two months. Um, but I, yeah, I don't see that happening at all. And I think they're going to be a super competitive team. Um, do you expect to see Mark Williams this year? I really liked Mark Williams at Duke. I watched a lot of Duke last year. I hope so. <laughs> I don't really know. I would ideally Mark Williams or Kai Jones would be, if they're not going to play him, like let him go play in the G league, let him go play somewhere and get some minutes somewhere instead of, you know, uh, they're on the team. I have, you know, I have two centers on the team who are young and that could use time, but I have no intention of playing them barring injury. It's a little lame to me. Uh, I, I, I think that we will. I do think Mark Williams is very good. I think he does the basic center stuff. Well, but when that's going to be, I have no idea. Uh, hopefully. What what I would hope is that maybe Plumlee gets moved at the deadline uh, for like next to nothing, just for the sake of opening up the spot. If Nick Richards shows that he can be a starter, then you can say, okay, Plumlee, we don't need you as the veteran center presence who we can trust. Richard fills in for that. And then now we've got this backup center spot where we can uh, shoe in Kai Jones or shoe in Mark Williams. That would be ideal. And I think pretty realistic as of when we're going to see him. I've seen absolutely zero news on, on when that's going to be. He just hasn't been in the rotation yet. And Steve Clifford likes shorter rotations. So. I think Steve Clifford came from Jeff Van Gundy coaching staff, same as Tibbs, if I'm not, if I'm not mistaken. So I think you're right. Tibbs likes a right. shorter rotation as well. I've always thought of Steve Clifford as like the less evil Tibbs, not calling Tibbs evil, <laughs> but like Tibbs is all, so Tibbs. And then right. Steve Clifford's got his principles, but he doesn't seem as much of like a character about it. Uh, but I'm a big fan of Steve Clifford's. Yeah, he's going to frustrate the fan base for not playing all the young guys. But I think I think he's in an impossible situation because the front office wants him to win, and they won't win if they play all the young guys. They just don't. like. They'd have to have like a 12-man rotation to do that. So I feel a little bad for him, but I'm not mad at him. What's the, uh, what's the Hornets fans' general opinion of Mitch Kupchak? They don't like him, but he is not a bad general manager. He's he is though. not. He is not a bad general manager. He has hit on a pretty insane number of picks. Uh, as long as I've been a Hornets fan, they just have horrible draft. It's like it's like the Browns or something. When the Browns would just, it's not only are, are they drafting bad, they're drafting guys who are just immediately no good. It's like Noah Vonley, 
And then although he's playing on, you know, a very good Celtics team right now, but, and, and, and you know, Cody Zeller was like the fourth overall pick and, and you, you guys know with him. I mean, okay. Miles Bridges, that was a hit up until it wasn't, but that's not his fault. Um, he drafted LaMelo obviously, and he got lucky with that, but he drafted LaMelo PJ Washington, you know, not a superstar or anything, but a very, very good uh, starting player for us. Um, so, and then he got uh, Devontae Graham, who we ended up trading and getting a first round pick for in the second round. And he was a very serious player. He got uh, McDaniels uh, with like the 50th pick, who is a serious player in our rotation. I mean, go look at, you know, picks 50 through 60 and see how many of those players ever get any serious rotation time. So to me, he's been a very, very good drafter. Uh, now they're mad at him for the Gordon Hayward stuff, which I get. But then when the Hornets have a big bunch of money in free agency, they want Mitch Kupchak to go make a big move. And the Hornets, because of who they are, they've got to overpay. They have to do it. They can't draw free agents like that. He's also very conservative. He doesn't go make big splash trades. And that frustrates a fan base that obviously, you know, every fan base wants their fan, you know, team to be the one that goes and does that. He's pretty conservative when it comes to that stuff, but I actually, I actually agree with him most of the time. Now we'll see how Kai Jones and James Booknight and Mark Williams turn out, but I don't think that he's a bad general manager um, at all. You know, he he had when he was with the Lakers, he had the Javaris Crittenton, Kwame Brown, Marcus All draft rights for Pau Gasol trade. So maybe yeah. maybe um, you catch lightning in a bottle twice. Um, if there was one question, one last question that I would ask you, it would be for a full season Hornets record prediction. They'll win probably 33 games. I'll say they'll win 33. That's my guess. All right. 33 and 49. We'll lock that. Something, yeah. And yeah, something like can, that. Hopefully we can check back in on that in the future. And yeah, I'd love to. Yeah. So for the record, we're recording this on Sunday morning. Uh, Matt, I hope that you enjoy Sunday football, if that's what your plan is for today. And thank you so much for coming on. Appreciate you guys having me. Yeah, thanks for joining us, man. Good luck this season. And if you do end up going 33 and 49, best of luck to you in the lottery. Unless we're in it, which I hope we aren't. But <laughs> if we're sitting this one out, I'm feeling calm. maybe my, my hope is that Adam Silver, he sees all these teams tanking and he says that is not right. And he gives the first overall pick, he rigs the lottery, gives the first overall pick to the worst team that actually tried, which would be us. And he gives <laughs> us the first overall pick. So that's what I'm hoping for. I, love I, 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 I can almost guarantee, and off of nothing, off of no information, off of no, I can almost guarantee that the first pick will not go to one of the three worst teams this year. And that's going to be how the NBA combats tanking. Honestly, I kind of do think that rigging the lottery would be the only way to combat tanking. There, I, there's no other way I can think to do it because if you make the odds so even, then you you take away being one of the worst teams. But I, I really have no clue how you do it. It's just that having the first overall pick is too important in the NBA. That's Especially a problem. This there's year. no way to fix that. And, and this there's is no way to the fix year. that. Right. There's no mm -hmm. way to fix it. Yeah, this relegation talk is not, that's not happening. They're not going <laughs> to put a multi-billion dollar NBA franchise in the DOE. <laughs> You're going from game to game on a coach bus. That's not ever going to happen. But I like the threat. I like the moxie from Adam Silver to even threaten that, even if he was uh, joking around. But uh, once again, Matt, thank you so much for coming on. And we're looking forward to Wednesday's game. Yeah, me too. Thank you guys. Have a great one, man.